0: This is Dr. Adrian Lepristi. Join me for Biocerticals Clinical Mastery, the triad of sleep, stress, and immune dysfunction on July 13, where I'll lead you through the various psychological, biological, lifestyle, and environmental causes of sleep disturbances. I will also showcase the assessment tools that practitioners can use to identify poor sleep, as well as the evidence-based treatment options that I use every day for stressed, anxious, and sleepless patients. Go to biocerticals.com.au to reserve your place today. Hi, and welcome to FX Medicine, where we bring you the latest in evidence-based integrative, functional, and complementary medicine. I'm Dr. Adrian Lopresti, and with us today is psychologist and best-selling author, Dr. Timothy Sharp. Often known as Dr. Happy, Tim is at the forefront of the positive psychology movement. He is the founder of the Happiness Institute and has written several books about happiness, including The Happiness Handbook and A Hundred Ways of Happiness, A Guide for Busy People, We are very happy to have him on the show today. Welcome to FX Medicine, Tim. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Terrific. So, Tim, I mean, obviously today we wanted to talk about positive psychology and have our kind of listeners learn a bit more about the positive psychology principles and approaches uh, when working with people with depression and and low mood and and anxiety. Can you tell us a bit about what positive psychology is and, and what are the associated principles of positive psychology?
1: Sure. Um, look, I'll, I'll give the brief version. Um, obviously, whole books and PhDs have been written about this, so it's hard to summarise entirely. But, but in brief, um, the, well, it's probably easiest to start with the difference from more traditional clinical or counselling psychology. And as most of the listeners would know, um, the greatest focus within traditional clinical psychology is on distress and dysfunction, things like you know, stress, depression, anxiety, uh, identifying where people were essentially going wrong in their lives and then trying to help them fix it. Now, that's obviously really important. But at the same time, one of the criticisms that was leveled uh, against clinical psychology or traditional counseling psychology it was, was that it was an almost exclusive focus on the negative, in a sense, without paying mm-hmm. virtually any attention to the positive. So about 20 or so years ago, some of the psychologists who, who ended up leading the development of the positive psychology movement started to say, well, you know, look, for so long we've been asking what's wrong with people and how can we fix it. What if we were to ask what's right with people and how can we make the most of it? Uh, what if instead of just trying to treat distress uh, you know, and depression, we were trying to promote uh, happiness and other positive emotions? Yes. Um, and so from that, it brought together under a more formal structure a lot of ideas and principles that had been discussed previously. And, again, the simple premise was uh, rather than just Trying to fix distress. What if we were to promote thriving and flourishing? And that's mm-hmm. essentially the difference. But one thing, I, just finally, um, one thing, I, a point I like to make is that they're not mutually exclusive. In fact, uh, I've always thought, and increasingly many practitioners have thought that they really work well together. We kind of need to, you know, we need to do both at the same time. In a sense.
0: So I suppose when we look at the symptoms, so if somebody's coming in with depression or anxiety, we're asking about. Uh, depressive symptoms or anxiety symptoms, what triggers may be there. Is positive psychology doing that too?
1: Uh, Well, yes and no. (laughs) Uh, What what we've seen over the last, well, more recent part of the last 20 years, is emerging or a blending of the two, in a sense. And, and in fact, some people mm-hmm. have, have come to call it positive therapy. Um, and all positive therapy is, I suppose, as I said, it's a blending or an integration of traditional psychological therapies mm-hmm. that have been proven to work, uh, predominantly, as you said, the cognitive behavior therapies, but also acceptance commitment therapy, which is, you know, mm-hmm. I, I guess I see as a, as, a, as a first cousin, in a sense, of the, the traditional yep. cognitive behavior therapies. But what we started to discover, and what you know, there's there's a a small but growing body of research to support this new idea of positive therapy, is that those positive psychology approaches uh, are effective not just in enhancing happiness and positive emotions, but also in treating some of those negative ones. So, again, they need to work well together. And I guess the bottom line is that any good therapist, a a properly qualified, trained person in this area, will know how to um, balance uh, and select the right principles or the right strategies for that particular case
0: okay so with the um the positive psychology principles are you kind of asking more about what what makes people happy what makes them feel good what enhances well-being are those kind of the questions that you're asking
1: yeah look i'll preface this by saying that there's always a risk in these sorts of in an interview like this that to, to oversimplify things, but yep. look, as I know, and, and look, and most of your listeners have been through years of training, so you know it's hard to sum up all of the <laughs> all of the subtleties and intricacies in in a couple of minutes answer to this. But yeah, look, positive psychology would focus much more on strength. So you know, yes, you know, if you walked into my office and you were experiencing severe or significant levels of distress, um, you know, it, it's, it clearly wouldn't be inappropriate to identify those symptoms to identify where you're going yeah. wrong, what mistakes you might be making, what we might be able to quote unquote fix. Uh, but if I were then to put my positive psychology hat on or my positive therapy hat on, as much at least as much, if not more, I'd be trying to identify again your underlying strengths. Um, mm-hmm. What is it that makes you tick? What is it that makes you your best? Uh, Or even at your worst, what is it that helps you cope with your worst? So, you know, we know that just like um, everybody, including ourselves as practitioners, uh, we all have uh, faults and failings. We're all imperfect. Um, None of us is is perfect or 100% perfect all the time. But at the same time, just as we all have faults and failings and weaknesses, so too do we have strengths. Um, and I guess for some of those who, out there who aren't familiar with this area, I'm not talking about physical strength here. I'm talking about psychological strengths or psychological attributes. Uh, these are things we all have, but some people uh, either aren't aware of them or they're not using them as well or as often as they could. And that's, so this is where the positive psychology focus comes in. Uh, I would be trying to help you, my, my client, identify where you're best, what brings you to life, what energizes you, where your psychological attributes lie, and how can you use them more often or in different situations, both to overcome whatever adversity you're facing, but also to promote, uh, to foster and develop more happiness and positivity, positive experiences in your life. So that greater focus on strengths and using those strengths both to address the bad and to promote the good uh, is a significant shift from the more traditional clinical approach.
0: Yeah, so definitely a more strengths-based approach. Obviously, incorporating mm. the two. So, you mentioned happiness. So, mm. what is happiness? How do you define it? How, you know, is there a way to measure it?
1: Ah uh, well, uh, <laughs> how long do I have to answer this question? Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> This is something that I've spent the last, you know, a good part of the last 20 years studying. And in fact, many people have spent more than that. So, look, in short, uh, yes, you can measure it. In fact, um, as many of your listeners would know, uh, well, actually, you know, a a lot of people don't know this about psychologists, but one of the things psychologists love to do is measure things. So, Mm -hmm. so there are, um, it's not just, yes, it's possible to measure happiness, but more so, it's actually possible to measure happiness in multiple ways. So, there are multiple scales and inventories and questionnaires, you know, Um, and so, you know, there's not, just one answer to that. But at a very basic level, one way is that happiness is one version of positive emotions. Now we know, uh, and I'm sure your listeners know, there's a whole range of positive emotions that we all experience, either on a daily or weekly basis. Um, That includes happiness as one, that's one of the most obvious positive emotions, but there are other ones like joy and satisfaction, uh, even calm, contentment. There's a whole range of positive emotions that we all experience day to day, And as I said, happiness is one version of that. Positive emotions are really important for living a good, healthy life. Um, Mm -hmm. But what positive psychology is really interested in is not just happiness in that, um, dare I say it, simple sense. Positive psychology is much more interested really in what we technically call thriving and flourishing, or in general terms, living our best life. Um, Now, to thrive and flourish and live our best life, we need positive emotions. You can't live your best life without any positive emotions. That's a really important uh, fundamental foundational component of thriving and flourishing. But there are also, and this is, this is an important, but uh, there are also several other significant components, uh, which are just as if not more important. Um, So just briefly, in addition to positive emotions, when positive psychologists talk about thriving and flourishing, they're also talking about uh, living a life of meaning and purpose. Now, Mm -hmm. Any of your listeners who have engaged in something meaningful or set and worked towards a meaningful goal will know that it's not always easy. In fact, sometimes you know, sometimes working towards a meaningful goal can be bloody hard work. Um, you know, so there's blood, sweat, and tears involved. Uh, so as important as positive emotions are, they're not everything because that that sense that you get when you've achieved something really hard is just as important as the joy and fun that you get from pleasurable activities um so working towards meaningful goals is a fundamentally important part of living a good life in addition to positive emotions um but so too are other things like you know our physical health and well-being is just as important um again it's hard to be happy if you're sick and tired all the time so um Mm -hmm. and as again I'm, i'm sure many of your listeners would know that physical health and well-being and psychological health and well-being are integrally intimately linked in fact you know i i I don't even like to sort of separate them because I think it's a bit misleading to talk about physical health and Absolutely. psychological health as kind of being separate entities. They're very intertwined. Um, uh, and then there's also things like, um, uh, well, well, the quality of our relationships. So, you know, happiness, real happiness, and real thriving is not just about me, me, me. It's very much more about us, us, us. I guess it's about um, we, it's about connectedness, it's about belonging. Uh, the quality of our relationships is... Arguably the most important components of living a good life. And then there are things, you know, well I've already touched on, so you know, identifying and utilizing our strengths, um, things like hope and optimism and gratitude. All of those things together um are really what positive psychology is about when we talk about thriving and flourishing. And and again, that simplistic understanding of happiness as a positive emotion is important, but it's only one of those uh
0: pillars. So so it's not just about increasing positive emotions. You've also mentioned the, the values, the meaning, the purpose of which mm. sometimes engaging in those behaviours, you might exp- actually experience some uncomfortable emotions during, during that, but ultimately you, you're leading a kind of more purposeful life and you're kind of moving towards a goal and, or, or a value that you're working towards.
1: Uh, 100%. So I, I often say that you know, happiness isn't just about feeling good. In fact, happiness yeah. isn't always feeling good <laughs> yeah. um, so we don't always have to feel good to live a good life um, and then even more than that, I often say happiness isn't just feeling good it's it's just as much about doing good, and so that's about mm-hmm. the connecting to others so you know being generous, being altruistic, being uh, giving is very very important mm-hmm. as well, so you know all of those things together again highlight the importance of positive emotions, but also I hope hopefully illustrate the positive emotions aren't the be all and end all.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Now I just want to ask a question. I know that a lot of the research is, um, you know, there's a lot of research showing that if you're depressed, there's increased likelihood of suffering from several medical conditions, um, and uh, there's all these kind of negative associations. There is there research showing that happiness is associated with. Improved health, improved well-being, improved sleep. Have you seen research around that?
1: There is indeed. Um, so yeah, again, two really important points. There, you, you quite rightly say, well, not, not just depression, but any form of mental ill health has been is typically associated with, with physical poor health as well. Um, we know that people yeah. who are susceptible to, or who who have, or are experiencing uh, some psychological disorder have an increased likelihood are more likely to experience other health problems. And in fact, you know, there's some research that suggests that they're more likely to die younger. It actually affects your longevity. Mm -hmm. But you're quite right. I mean, so the flip side of that is that promoting um, more positive emotion, promoting uh, helping more people live better lives actually improves other aspects of their health and well-being as well um which is why happiness is so important and you know, i spend a lot of my time busting myths and misconceptions about happiness um because i think you know we see these discussions of positive psychology is kind of just a nice thing it's just sort of a bit of but maybe a bit of a frivolous aim well you know okay it'll be nice to be happy and okay it'd be nice if more people were happy but you know, is it really important well the bottom line is, yes, it is important because as you hinted at that new question, um, so I just want to clarify here, I'm talking about genuine sort of authentic happiness here, not slapping on yeah. a fake smile. But the more people that are genuinely happier, then the more people who are genuinely healthier. Um, and that has mm. significant benefits, well, not just to their individual quality of life, but it also has implications for their family and friends and their loved ones. So um, so that there's, a, there's a, a theory within social psychology called social and emotional contagion. We know that emotions are catchy. So depression, for example, can spread throughout social and occupational networks, but so too can happiness and positivity, genuine positivity. So the more positive emotions that I experience, the more that spreads throughout, or not just my immediate family, but my social network, my family, my friends, and, and as I said, throughout the... Uh, all the organisations, oh, sorry, all the communities with whom I sort of live and operate. So um, it's far more significant than many people realise. And even one could argue there are significant uh, financial or economic benefits because again, we know, you know, the healthier I am, the healthier more people are. Mm-hmm. There are cost savings to our, uh, you know, our health yes, system. Yes, absolutely. Um, there are productivity benefits to organisations and to the economy. So you know, I think it is again more important than many people realise.
0: So, I mean, obviously, you know, I suppose mood is contagious and uh, if around positive people, we're more likely to, to experience positive emotions. So, so part of this is also you know, positive psychology, I suppose, is also about who you spend time with, what impact or effect they have on you and what effect you have on them. Would that be part of it too, you know, when you're questioning some of the, your clients about who they're spending time with?
1: Oh, very much so. Um, well, look, so, so sometimes I'm asked what's the secret to happiness? Um, And I'm always reluctant to answer that because there there isn't a secret. Uh, And even if there was one secret for me, it would be different for you. Um, In fact, if there was a secret to happiness, it would be understanding that there's no secret. Um, Because I think aiming (laughs) towards that sort of, you know, one simple thing is a bit of a myth and it can actually be, instead of setting yourself up for failure. Um, so, so I don't like to answer that. I, I'll often say, you know, there's no one answer. There are multiple answers. We each need to find our own combination, so to speak, our own recipe. However, at the risk of contradicting myself, if I had to name the most important contributor to happiness, to health, to well-being, to longevity, it would probably be the quality of our relationships. Um, time and time again, study after study, research after research, keeps coming back to the significance of this thing, this quality of our relationships, our, our connectedness. So to come back to your question, it's, it's super important. Um, you know, who you spend time with makes a big difference. Um, and so one of the, uh, dare I say it, the simplest things that we can do to boost the quality of our life is to be careful who we spend time with. So spending more time with more positive people will be good for us. Now, there's a very, very important caveat to that, and I really do want to put this in context, I'm not suggesting you should just stop spending time with people who might be, uh, say, depressed um, or people who might be not as uplifting as others. If I have a very good friend, uh, as I do, (laughs) who who experiences mental ill health, um, sometimes spending time with him isn't all that energizing for me. In fact, it can be draining. It can be hard work. But I don't want to, and I shouldn't just abandon him. And in the same way, I wouldn't want people to abandon me if I was going through a difficult time. So on the one hand, I'd say yes, spend more time with positive people; that will be good for you. But uh, don't neglect, or, or as I said, don't just abandon family or friends who might be struggling and whose difficulties might bring you down a bit, because supporting them, even though it can be difficult at times is a, you know, it's an important part of being a good person, I suppose.
0: So I suppose, you know, that that spending time with somebody who might be experiencing low mood or or, um, anxiety or so forth, that also can give you meaning and purpose, can't it?
1: Yes, exactly. Um, And we know that, you know, so helping others is a form of helping ourselves in a sense, so doing good is a way of feeling good.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm. So um, are you telling me that... uh, more money, you know, that brand new shoes, that brand new car um, is not going to make us happy?
1: <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> Again, it's not that simple. Um, look, there's nothing, there's nothing inherently wrong with working hard or doing whatever's required to make more money. And there's nothing inherently wrong with enjoying the purchases of um, a new car or new shoes or whatever, you know, new gadgets. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we definitely know from the research is that the return on investment, so to speak, when it comes to happiness is nowhere near as great as we think it will be. Now, um, uh, when I'll just separate the two, the money from the material possessions, when it comes to material possessions, again, there's nothing wrong with that. But what we know from the research, and in fact, what most of us know from experience, if we just reflect back and think about it for a bit, is that when we get something new, it's kind of cool and it can be fun and it can be really enjoyable. Um, but the benefits tend to tail off pretty quickly, and by that I mean that you know within a few depending on what it is um, and depending on who you are, uh, within days or weeks or maybe months, um, it, it kind of loses some of its power, it loses some of its shine so those those cool new shoes just become shoes. That brand new smartphone is no longer a brand new smartphone in fact, it becomes obsolete within a year or so because <laughs> there 's a Excellent. newer version um, so if we 're focusing on happiness, if we 're focusing on living a good life they don't give nearly as much benefit as we often think. And and it's the same with money. Um, More money actually does lead to more happiness, but nowhere near as much as we think it does. So the idea that money Mm -hmm. can't buy happiness is actually a bit of a – it's actually not true. It does, but only a tiny bit. And only it adds less and less value the more and more wealthy you are. So, for example, if we were to take someone below the poverty line, someone who's really struggling to, say, pay the bills or put food on the table or pay rent or whatever – if you were to give that person more money, they would actually become significantly happier because you're removing a significant stressor. But yeah. as you move up and up the wealth scale, and as you get above what different researchers have called enough, um, so above what might be considered the average income or the average amount of wealth, and and look, that varies. Different people have defined that differently, and it varies from from study to study. But Um, The further up that scale you get, the less your money buys, in a sense. Um, So it's like a law of diminishing returns. Um, As you get wealthier and wealthier, your money buys less and less happiness. Now, it still buys some, but the equation then shifts to, well, what's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck, in a sense? Mm -hmm. And again, as you move up that scale, there are other factors that will give you a significantly greater return, and those factors are the ones we talked about, particularly the quality of your relationships. So, you know, we've all heard stories that, you know, if you, you can be, you know, have a million dollars, $10 million, $100 million, but if you're lonely, if you've got no friends, if you've got no love in your life, is that really a quality of life that you want? Um, so the quality of relationships is probably far more important than the amount of dollars in your bank once you get above a certain amount. And then the other big one actually is our physical health and well-being. I mean, again, you can have all the money yeah. in the bank, but if you're sick or, and you know, dysfunctional in some way, um, that's not really going to serve much of a purpose. So, uh, again, once you have enough, and again we 'll all define that differently, I suppose there are other ways that we probably should be spending our time if happiness is our goal
0: okay um so we've talked you know obviously as psychologists uh, you know there's the counseling and the the interventions that we provide there. What about antidepressants? do they make us happy
1: <laughs> so you're talking about the traditional psychiatric medications that are prescribed?
0: yeah, the pharmaceutical yeah. yes.
1: Because uh, okay. they're called well,
0: antidepressants. They're not called pro-happiness pills, are they? They're called, well, ex- you know. Exactly.
1: <laughs> well, so the reason I clarify that is that so I would argue that the most potent antidepressant available is exercise. But um, so that's yes. a diff- Maybe that's a different debate. We'll come back to that later. If you're talking about the, the medications that are traditionally described by our GPs or psychiatrists, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in a sense, I think you've already answered this, which is in a simple, a simple answer is no, they don't necessarily make you happier. They might make you less distressed. But this is actually one of the fundamental aspects of positive psychology. This is one of the um, fundamental mistakes, I suppose, that positive psychology has tried to remedy. Even traditional clinical psychology approaches, so we, we look at CBT, for example, CBT was predominantly focused on Minimizing distress or yes. um, you know, treating depression so, but one of the things that we worked out fairly quickly is that treating depression, even if we treat depression effectively through whatever means, treating depression doesn 't necessarily promote happiness or even treating you know, alleviating anxiety doesn 't necessarily promote happiness they 're not exactly the same thing now, obviously, if you remove a significant amount of depression from someone 's life that 's a good thing but it's not necessarily the same as promoting happiness. And If you were to think about the average person and their moods on a scale of minus 10 to plus 10, where minus 10 was major depressive disorder, serious anxiety disorder, et cetera, uh, plus 10 was joy, happiness, (laughs) et cetera. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, many people would walk into my office at minus 10, minus nine, minus eight, whatever. My goal would be be to get them back to zero, uh, no longer depressed. Once they got to zero, I was pretty much trained to say, see you later. You know, my job is done. You are no longer depressed. You no longer have those symptoms of major depressive disorder or the anxiety disorder or whatever. But again, a lot of people will question, well, is that really enough? Is that, are we really doing the best job we could? Um, sure, zero is better than minus nine, but, but why stop there? And that's where positive psychology came in and said, well, okay, Helping someone go from minus 10 to zero is a great start. That's fantastic. And you know, we should never underestimate the significance of that achievement. But what if we could then help them go from zero to positive 10? Uh, or at least, yes. you know, I mean, no one's going to be at positive 10 all the time, obviously, but at least to a you know, positive nine or eight or seven more often. So again, to come back to your question, the antidepressant medications aren't really designed to make people happier. They're, they're kind of designed and used to make people less distressed
0: I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, I suppose that if they do work, they're, going, they're helping people go from minus 10 mm. to, to zero uh, as opposed from zero to 10. So I suppose what you're saying kind of fits really well with uh, a lot of kind of naturopathic and integrated principles because what they're um, often um, trying to achieve is not about reducing disease but it's about promoting mm-hmm. health. Um, and obviously yeah. when you go see your GP, it's I've got this wrong with me, can you take this problem mm-hmm. away from me? But you're seeing your GP is not necessarily about, I oh, I feel pretty good, but I want to feel even better. Um, and that's not the approach that's generally taken, even from a medical more medical-based uh, approach. So this kind of fits really well with them.
1: Oh, definitely. And, you know, I think you've hit the nail on the head that it's not just um, clinical psychology. And, and I don't mean to be clinical or clinical psychology. I mean, that, you know, I spent a significant portion of my career there and it was incredibly satisfying. And, and it's you know it's a much-needed profession that does fantastic work. But I do feel... You know, it, it traditionally it's it sort of fallen short a bit, and you know I'm, I'm extremely appreciative and, and a, a strong advocate of the uh, you know slightly more modern positive psychology approach to extend. That above and beyond what it's traditionally done, but again, it's it's not just clinical psychology. It's yeah. Our medical system is not a health system at all; it's a sickness system, as, as you quite yes. rightly pointed out. And I, I think that's a major, major problem. So, you know, many um, wellness practitioners, to use that sort of broad term, uh, you're right, have been much more interested in health than our traditional um, system has, and I. Uh, and I think many – I'm probably preaching to the converted here. I think many of the listeners would agree. But, you know, I think we could benefit – we could all benefit from a system that focused more on health and wellness than just on sickness. Um, I mean, that's not to say we need to we, – we should forget about sickness. Of course, we need yeah. to address that. But a greater focus on uh, – well, on on health and wellness and on prevention – Would I think be you know you know make a massive difference in many many ways.
0: Now I've heard you mention that happiness is something that you choose, and choose being an acronym. Can you tell us a bit about this choose acronym and what it all means?
1: Yeah, I can. Um, And look, we've already touched on most of these components, so I'll 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 run through it fairly briefly. Um, So, as you said, choose uh, well, choose is both a philosophy. uh, The way I use it in this context, both a philosophy of. I guess, of taking responsibility. Um, and I think, you know, this is something, again, I, I imagine many of the listeners would, would agree with. I think, you know, we all need to be responsible for our health and well-being. We need to make it a priority and do what we can, um, not just be sort of passive recipients of, of what the world gives us, I suppose. <laughs> um, so it is that sort of positive philosophy of being responsible and being proactive, but it's also, uh, as you said, a, a, an acronym, st- acronym that stands for six key strategies that, again, we've pretty much touched on, and all, all of which have been supported by the research, really. So choose starts with C. Obviously, C stands for um, clarity, and by that I mean having clear Values, life goals, clear priorities, knowing what's really important, and uh, which means knowing what to say yes to in life, but also, I suppose, knowing what to say no to. Um, so, setting and working towards clear and meaningful goals, we know, is a very positive strategy that has positive benefits. Um, uh, focusing on those, um, in, in, on the values that are important to you, within mm. that, we know, is also a positive strategy with positive benefits. Um, so, that's that's the first aspect of choose is being clear about who you are, what's important to you, what you, you know, what you want to do to live and what you need to do to live a good, healthy life. Um, uh, unfortunately, that, might, that might sound a bit obvious, but unfortunately, not enough people give enough thought to that, I think. Many people just yeah. sort of stumble through life and you know, they might trip over happiness every now and then if they're lucky, but they don't actively create it or actively choose it by being clear about those sorts of things. And I think many people, if nothing else, many people could benefit from that first step.
0: It's often a question that you know if you ask somebody they they can't answer that can they well, you know what's your direction what's your life purpose they just don't know the answer to that
1: I know and it still it probably shouldn't anymore but it still surprises me um, you know you know I, so I sometimes I do a lot of public speaking and corporate speaking and I, I sometimes ask this question um, you know if I were to, if I had a magic wand and I could make the magic wand and 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 you know make you all happier. Um, how many people would want to be happier? And you know, not surprisingly, you know, 99 out of 100 hands go up. Um, what I then say is, how many of you actually have a happiness plan? And depending on the audience, um, you know, you might get anywhere from 5%, maybe up to 10 or 20%. But it's still usually a fairly small minority. And so what that says to me is, you know, everyone wants to be happier and healthier, but very few people are making or creating a clear plan to achieve that. Now. We know in yeah. other areas of life that planning is important. You know, If people want to get fitter and stronger, they need an exercise plan or a dietary plan or if people want to create more wealth, they need a financial plan. Well, it's no different here. Um, we need that clarity. Without that clarity, it's very hard to achieve. And again, it's a, it's a relatively simple thing that many people could benefit a lot more from. Um, and that sort of encapsulates all the other bits because the next – five strategies that sort of will will then, I suppose, become part of that plan. So the the second letter is obviously H, which stands for healthy living. And uh, Now, I touched on this earlier. I I don't really even like to differentiate between sort of physical health and psychological health and well-being, but that being said, it kind of makes the discussion easier if we do in a way because that's how most people Mm. think about it. So what I'm talking about here in the H are things like, uh, well, I've already talked about this, um, uh, exercise, uh, diet. uh, And one thing we haven't actually touched on is sleep. But, you know, they're the pillars – of healthy living sounds bloody obvious sounds like common sense but again i'm sure many of your listeners know uh so few people do it well you know we know that a lot of people just don't exercise enough they don't eat well enough they don't get enough sleep and so they are literally sick and tired um much of the time it's a major major problem you know we we know in australia for example. I think the last study I said, you know, less than less than 10% of Australians, I think, eat the recommended uh, amounts of fruit and vegetables every day. Um, uh, something like 80% of people report being tired on a daily basis because they don't get enough sleep. So, you know, these are basic building blocks of health that are just not prioritised as much as they could or should be. And yet, uh, if we do do these things... Um, they're fantastically useful for our health and well-being. We've got more energy to do what we want to do. And if we do more of what we want to do, we can be happier and more satisfied in life. So, um, so that's what the so we've got the clarity uh, C. You've got the H's for healthy living. Uh, the first of the O's uh, stands for optimism, um, which again, study after study shows is super important and one of the most important contributors to. Uh, to happiness and well-being. Um, now, just to clarify here, I'm not talking about quote-unquote positive thinking. Um, real optimism, when psychologists use the term, um, it is about being positive to a point. There is a, there is a very strong element of positivity within optimism, but the important difference here, and this really is an important difference, is that when I talk about it, or, you know when psychologists talk about optimism, there is a positivity to that, but it's grounded in reality. And where uh, unfortunately sometimes the positive thinking movement sort of shoots itself in the foot, so to speak is is if it 's unrealistic unrealistic positive thinking can be just as bad as negative thinking because if you if you 're unrealistically positive and you set yourself up for failure, well that just leads to disappointment and frustration so so that 's really important to keep in mind um optimism's super important there 's no doubt about it. People that are optimistic are not just happier but they 're healthier, they live longer they have better quality relationships, et cetera. But for that optimism to work, as I said, it's got to be grounded in reality. And what that means is mm-hmm. it's not about denying the reality uh, of real problems in the real world. Um, there are real yeah. problems in the real world. We all know that. Uh, real optimists don't deny that. They don't bury their head in the sand, but they, they face up to that. Uh, they face up to the cold, yeah. hard realities, but in a constructive way. And that's really, really important. Um, the second, though, then, is about others. It's just it, It's about remembering that real happiness is not, it's not the same as selfishness. It's not narcissism. It's not just sort of, again, about me, me, me. Uh, it's about my wife, my children, my family, my friends, my colleagues. It's about all those other people in my life, my community um, or, or communities, I suppose, the different communities of which I'm a part. Um, all yeah. of those things are really, really important. And, and you know, we know that, again, one of the myths about happiness is that, um, We've just got to be selfish and take care of our own needs. Well, that's not true at all. Uh, really happy people have uh, more uh, and better quality relationships. They're also more generous, more altruistic, more giving, more caring. So, um, you know, so that's really, really important as well. Um, and then the S, uh, well, we've already touched on the S as well. That's about the strengths-based approach. Um, as I said, we all have um, weaknesses, we all have faults and failings, and if we can fix them, um, well, that's that's self-development, that's self-improvement, and that's a good thing. So if I'm aware of my faults and failings and my weaknesses and I can do something about it, then great. But we shouldn't focus all of our efforts there. In addition to that, I should also be thinking about, and I'd encourage you and all of our listeners to think about, uh, not just what am I bad at and how can I fix it, but what am I good at and how can I make the most yes. of that? So identifying my psychological strengths, and here I'm talking about things like uh, curiosity, love of learning, humor, uh, loving and being loved, um, leadership, social intelligence, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. There's a whole uh, – there's a number of different systems that we use for this. But if we can identify our psychological strengths and attributes and then find ways to use these as often as possible in as many areas of our life as possible, we know – that, the, that that has massive benefits, so people that people that do that are, are happier and more successful, and particularly in the workplace. There's a really effective strategy in the workplace. We know that strengths-based organisations mm-hmm. uh, tend to be more effective, more productive, more profitable than uh, comparable organisations on almost every measure. Uh, and then the final letter of uh, choose is E, which is about enjoying the moment. Um, that's about remembering, I suppose, that, well, I don't know about you, but I, I I fall guilty. I fall victim sometimes of taking life and taking myself too seriously. Um, now, yeah. life life is serious and life is important, and we all have responsibilities. And you know, I think all of our listeners have important jobs they're doing. Um, and and it's fantastic that there are people doing those important jobs. But um, but we've got it. It's important to to not forget about fun and play and laughter. And uh, again, although that might sort of sound frivolous uh, at times. It's actually really important, we know those things fuel us, they energize us, so um just remembering to play a bit to have fun um you know not forgetting that inner child, so to speak um uh, and knowing that those things will add zest and energy to our lives and which will then pay off in other areas is is really important, so it's about being grateful and enjoying the pleasures in life, which can then actually help you do all those other things so that's yeah. That's the CHOOSE acronym. Um, and I said, we've, we've sort of covered that in different ways throughout the discussion so far.
0: And there's probably just that last one. There's probably research showing, you know, in terms of, I don't know the research specifically, but in terms of laughing and what uh, effect laughing has on us physiologically. And, uh, and I agree with you. You know, we need to not take life so seriously all the time. And sometimes we need to just kind of do those things that just make us feel good and have fun and be in the moment, which also includes mindfulness-based stuff too, doesn't it?
1: well exactly well, definitely and so there's a bucket load of research looking at laughter looking at play looking at fun i mean all of these things these things foster creativity and innovation so we know that laughter for example when we're laughing we there are natural chemicals released within our you know, neurotransmitters that are released within our bodies and our brains that actually promote positive feelings and happiness etc but what people sometimes forget about is that when we're laughing uh, not always but more often than not when we're laughing having fun. Having fun, where are, who are we? Who are we with other people. So it's actually a potent yeah. form of connection. Um, it's a great yes. way to connect and to foster and forge deep relationships with others. And as I've talked about a lot, um, those deep relationships with others are vitally important for our health and well being. So, you know, fun and play are not frivolous. If they connect us with others, if they, um, if they add to the quality of our relationships with others, then as I said a few times, you know, that's just so, so important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Just one other thing. I know that you mentioned strengths and I know that there's some questionnaires or that, that people can kind of, I'm sure this will be of interest to some of our listeners. So uh, strengths questionnaires, is there something that you recommend uh, in terms of questionnaire to help identify strengths?
1: yeah there are there's a couple of that are available uh, and then they're all they're all sort of good in different ways i suppose so for example there's uh, well there's one called the Gallup Strengths finder, which is a, a, i suppose a more corporate model, which is a fantastic model but it, but you have to pay for it and it's again it 's a bit more sort of corporate language. The one that I usually recommend partly because it 's free um, but also because it 's very well researched it 's got a massive database i think there you are know, several million people in the database that have added to the research behind this. It's called the VIA Signature Strength Survey. So you can, if anyone goes out there and searches for that, just VIA Signature Strength Survey, you'll get to a, you'll find your way to a website, and as I said, it's totally free. And you can use it yourselves. In fact, I'd recommend you use it yourself. It's a, it's a great, in, it, it only takes about 20 minutes, but it's a great investment of your time. So again, again, what you get at the end of that, and you can use this either for yourself or your clients, uh, is that effectively you get a report. Um, so in this particular model, in the VIA model, there are 24 strengths. Uh, and effectively, what it, essentially what it does is it, it will rank your strengths from one to 24. Um, So it will tell you uh, after you filled out all the questions, <laughs> Uh, what your top strengths are down to your 24 strengths. Now, um, so again, that's fantastically useful. And then, then, then what, uh, what it's up to you to then do is to go away and think about uh, or talk to your clients about um, how can you use those strengths uh, at work, at home, with your friends, with your family? How can you use them as often as possible? Uh, and the more you do that, the more benefits you'll get. Um, but just let me just clarify one important thing because one of the mistakes people make, um, people go there and they They'll do that and they get the report and they might think this is fantastic. But a lot of people, because of the way we've often been trained and because of the way a lot of other psychological surveys work, they'll go straight down to the bottom and look at 24 or 23 and think, oh, that's what I'm no good at. Now, this Uh that's not true. (laughs) This questionnaire doesn't measure what you're not good at. It only measures what you are good at. So even 24, 23, 22, they're still strengths. They're still strengths that you have. It just, all it means is that for whatever reason. Or well, for a variety of reasons, the ones up the top, one, two, three, four, five, whatever, are strengths that can't, They're, they're things that come more naturally to you. Things that you're more naturally, uh, you more naturally tend uh-huh. towards. Um, and so the easiest place to start is with those top ones. To start with your top three or four or five, and say, okay, these are things I'm already really good at. Things you're probably already using. How can I use them more or better or whatever? But there's no reason why you can't, if for whatever reason you choose to, go to number 10 or 15 or whatever it might be and say, I really want to improve my kindness, strength, or I really want to improve my love of learning, whatever it is. Um, There's no reason why you can't choose any of those because this is one of the good things we know from the research now is that even though there are some strengths that we're kind of naturally drawn to, that we're naturally good at, we can, if we so choose, improve any of them. It's kind of like it's, you, know, it's like you go to the gym, for example, yes. and if I go to the gym, I could build up my biceps or my shoulder muscles or my leg muscles. Well, we can go to the quote-unquote strengths gym um, and build up any of those signature strengths if we so choose by um, effectively just by practice and training.
0: All right so let's just so I love that that choose acronym that you've used and I think um you know I'll just kind of summarize it so it's just the C is for clarity so I suppose if practitioners are listening you know am I when I'm working with my clients am I working on clarity in terms of direction and life purpose H is for healthy living which definitely you know our practitioners are, are really working towards and from exercise diet nutrition sleep point of view O is for optimism okay what am I doing to help enhance optimism Others is the relationship. S is for strengths. Are we building on people's strengths and helping them identify those strengths? And then E is the enjoying in the moment. So they're really I think it's a really great way for practitioners to kind of look at, you know, when they're working with clients, thinking about that choose approach and then going, okay, which bits am I um, maybe need to concentrate a bit more on or um, you know, particularly need to work on with a particular client, which bit am I neglecting, and uh, really helping them to guide their interventions oh. accordingly. So it's great. Thanks for that.
1: Yeah. Just, so just to add to that at a slightly different level, uh, I've used and I encourage people to use that sort of within the sort of therapy context itself. For example, one of the things that I started to do more and more towards the latter part of my career, I suppose, was to try and make therapy fun and enjoyable. Yeah. Um, now that might sound a bit strange in a way because often you know people are coming in significantly depressed or anxious and um you know again it is a serious endeavor and I don't want to detract from that at all. But we know that um people learn better when they in, in in a fun environment. People learn better yeah. if it's enjoyable, if we can make it playful. So Without, um, again, without detracting from the seriousness of what many of, many of the listeners are, are doing, and it is serious work, um, if you can make it fun or if you can find a way to integrate fun or play into the therapeutic strategies, that's only going to enhance, uh, well, it's going to enhance the strategies and hopefully enhance the benefits.
0: All right. Well, Tim, we could go forever. I mean, this has been a great conversation. Um, You know, certainly thank you for being with us to talk about happiness and positive psychology. You know, certainly happiness can sometimes be a bit elusive, especially when we have that mindset of, you know, when I accomplish this or when I do that, then I'll be happy. But as you reminded us today, happiness seems like it really comes down to being able to identify and appreciate the things that make life worth living. And, you know, that's going to be very different for all of us. So I think this discussion we've had today is really helpful for not only for our personal lives, for people for the, in terms of applying to them personally, but also in their practices as well. And, I, and since natural health practitioners care for the whole person, not just what they're eating or how much sleep they're getting, it's also, you know, it fits really well. You know, thank you very much for uh, our conversation today.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. And yeah, look, I certainly do hope the listeners have uh, found it helpful in some small way.
0: All right. So thanks, everyone, for listening today. Don't forget that you can find all the show notes, transcripts, and other resources from today's episode on the FX Medicine website. I'm Dr. Adrian Lopresti, and thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.
1: This podcast is intended as healthcare practitioner education only and it is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis or treatment.